Welcome to episode 145 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, I am taking your questions from Instagram. We cover a lot of ground on the podcast today. We talk about collagen. Is collagen a good protein source? How do you even tell if something's a good protein source? We talk about rapid fat loss phases. Are they ever appropriate? If so, for whom? And we talk about getting stronger. If you're struggling to get stronger, what might be standing in your way and how can you go about fixing those things? And lots more coming your way. Let's get after it. Hitting a Q&A episode of the podcast today, taking your questions from Instagram. If you have questions, workout questions, weight loss questions, menopause questions, any of the things you hear me talk about, um, you know, I have this thing in my mind, I just don't know about this thing, be sure to watch for the Q&A boxes I post so you can get full answers here on the podcast. Of course, I do Q&As there as well, but I can go much more in depth when I take your questions and bring them over here. Before we jump into the questions, I want to give you uh, an update on my plantar fasciitis healing because I had so much interest in that subject. I actually recorded a podcast sometime back now with my um, physical therapist, Taylor Eckel. Had her on to talk about that. Uh, I've been dealing with plantar fasciitis, well, this most recent occurrence since the winter, since like January, I think it was. At the latest, it was February. Um, and it was the most persistent case of plantar fasciitis I have dealt with to date. I have had plantar fasciitis in both feet at varying times, um, usually starting, it's usually for me triggered by an episode of walking too long in Uggs. <laughs> I love my Uggs. They're perfect for winter and I can wear them, but I cannot wear them for too long. And um, I did it again this winter and it really triggered this, this bad flare up. So I talked a lot on the podcast I did um, with Taylor about how I was helping that to heal what I was doing specifically and how I was working around that. And that's one of the keys so often, and you can extrapolate what I'm saying here to whatever, uh, you know, ding, nick, injury, pain, flare up you're having in your body. The thing I think that is important is figuring out one, what help do I need to get to get past this? Because a lot of times people just so accept like, oh, this is, I have pain in my elbow all the time. And that's just how my life is. And it doesn't need to be like that. It doesn't need to be like that. So who do I need to get to help me with this? And two, how do I work around it? Like what activities do I still want to do that I can somehow incorporate, what do I need to adjust in them? So I didn't give up on training and I didn't give up on walking while I was working through this. Um, I'd say I'm about like 99% of the way through this right now. And at no point did I give up on either training or walking totally. I had to significantly, significantly reduce my walking. Um, incredible amount of reduction there. Uh, training, I didn't have to change at all. I did not have to change my training at all. I did have to move to getting my steps in by riding that stupid exercise bike in my basement. <laughs> I just didn't love that. I'm, I'm still actually doing that as a way to do some cardio with a new program I'm doing now. So it was good that I had the experience of getting used to the bike and what did I have to do to make that bike not be so painful on my, my butt. Um, but I did have to, to make some changes to how I was getting that movement in but I didn't stop moving. And then I really worked closely with 
my, um, my physical therapist to get my foot out of pain. And that has been a long journey. It has not required a lot of me in terms of how, how much per day or per week, these exercises I've had to do, but it's required a lot in terms of how long it took. Like it's June, we're starting June. And I've been working on this since January or February. And so it was a lot of patients doing the exercises that I had um, that Taylor gave to me to do, um, but it didn't take that long each day. So I cannot recommend to you highly enough getting a qualified person, a personal trainer, a physical therapist to help you with whatever like nagging pains you have, and then really being patient and persistent with following that treatment plan and finding ways to continue to still do the things that you love to do. So for me right now, I have been able to increase my steps. I'm up some days. I went hiking this week and was up over 14,000 steps. Um, I'm getting close. I'm up at 10,000 almost every day. Uh, when I had that longer day with the hike, I did decide the day before and the day after I would come back down a little bit in terms of step volume to 8,000. I just don't want anything to, to flare up. I still have a very small amount of pain, not with walking, but in the morning when I first wake up, that's pretty typical of plantar fasciitis um, at times when I've been sitting for a long time and then stand up. And so I'm still um, being cautious, but I have been able to return to almost full activity. Like that's, that's pretty significant amount of steps. I am still being cautious when I'm not hiking. Like if I'm not on a dedicated hike, I don't do all those steps at once. Whereas I very easily would have before just been like, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get 10,000 steps in right now. That's just the way my day is set up. I'm enjoying this walk. I'm just going to keep on walking. And I purposely don't do that. Now I am setting my day up. So I get 3000 steps first thing in the morning, 3000 steps somewhere in midday, and then 3000 steps in the evening. And then, you know, just with daily movement around my house, I get another one to two to 3000, um, you know, with my workouts and just moving around the house and doing that is working really well for me to up that volume of steps without irritating my foot. So thank you for all of your inquiries about that. I know a lot of people were interested because a lot of you struggle with plantar fasciitis. If you want to know more specifically the exercises I was doing, look up that episode um, with Taylor Eckel. I will put that in the show notes. Um, she does, I work with her virtually. So she's an incredible resource for you if you're looking for somebody to um, work with you through kind of a nagging pain virtually. All right, let's jump into the questions. Up first, this is a question from Edamame, which sounds like Edamame, but it's not Edamame. I'm not saying Edamame. I'm saying Edamame, like Etta's mom. <laughs> like, like the child's name is Etta, and this is her mommy, Edamame. I think it's a play on words. I think it's supposed to sound like Edamame. Maybe not. All right, and Edamame's question is, is collagen a good source of protein? To answer this question, let's consider first what makes something a good source of protein, and then we'll apply that criteria to collagen to see if it is indeed a good source of protein or not. So a little bit of backstory here about protein. Protein is made up of amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. And there are 20 amino acids that make up all of the proteins found in the human body. Of these 20 amino acids, there are eight 
that cannot be made by our bodies. We have to get them from the food that we eat. And these eight amino acids that our bodies cannot produce themselves are called essential amino acids. I'm going to tell you the names of them now. I bet some of them are going to sound familiar to you and others are going to be like, never heard of that. So the eight essential amino acids are leucine, isoleucine, lysine, methionine, phenylalanine, threonine, tryptophan, and valine. When a food has sufficient amounts of all of those eight essential amino acids, so they have all of those in it and they have enough of it, when, we ha- when it has that, we say it is a complete protein. That is the main thing that makes something a good source of protein. It contains enough of all eight of the essential amino acids. If a food or a supplement did not contain enough of all eight of the essential amino acids, or it was missing one completely or more completely, we would call it an incomplete protein source. Got it? All right. Now, keeping that in mind, let's look at collagen. Now, collagen is the most abundant protein in our bodies. It's like a third of the protein in our bodies is collagen. So does collagen have enough of all the eight essential amino acids? No. The supplement collagen is missing the amino acid tryptophan. So it is an incomplete protein source, which makes supplementing with it for the goal of getting in enough protein a subpar choice. If you're going to supplement protein, you should choose one that has a full amino acid profile. So whey or casein, most plant-based protein powders, you want to check the label there, but often soy protein and rice pea blends, often those have all eight of the essential amino acids and enough of them, but not collagen. Okay. Now, we don't only eat foods that are complete protein sources. We eat plenty of incomplete protein sources. So lentils and black beans, for example, both of those are deficient in methionine. When we eat a diet that is mostly minimally processed foods and and we do eat a varied diet, including protein sources, we can naturally get all of the needed amino acids. If we're struggling to eat enough protein with our food, and then we choose to supplement we should be choosing to supplement with a high quality, i.e. has a full amino acid profile protein supplement. So with our food, we absolutely count the protein found in all food sources, whether they are complete proteins or not. We count that towards our daily total. It's not like we're like, oh, black beans, those are not going to count towards my protein total today because they didn't have enough methionine. No, that's not what we do. The difference with collagen is we're talking about a supplement. Its role would be to fill in gaps, right? So why would we choose to pay money for a supplement that is subpar? If you are using a supplement to hit a protein target, choose a supplement that has a full amino acid profile. Again, something like whey, casein, plant protein powders that have those that full amino acid profile. Check the labels there. Okay, cool. Next question. This question is from Growing a Bean. Growing a bean says eating 1200 to 1350 calories for one to two weeks. Is that okay? Well, let me start with this. I don't know you and I don't know a thing about you other than you want to eat this number of calories. So I can't tell you how much you should be eating. 
Like there's not enough information there for me to tell you this is a good amount for you to eat. I don't even know what your goal is. Based on the numbers you gave me, I'm going to infer your question to be, is it okay to eat super low calories for one to two weeks? That's how I'm going to infer this question. Can I do one to two weeks at super low calories? And the answer to that question is, it depends. And mostly no, don't do that. (laughs) Okay. It depends. There are some times it could be appropriate, but mostly no, don't do that. Who could it possibly be appropriate for and under what circumstances to eat super low calorie for a short, discrete period of time? Now, I'm not going to assign any particular numbers to as far as calories to what super low calorie is, but just the general idea, is it okay to eat super low calories for a short, discrete period of time? Who might that be appropriate for? The only time I have ever used this this approach, which is what I would call a rapid fat loss approach, would be if a client has no history of eating disorders. And in fact, they, I would not be working with them if they did. I do not work with clients who have history of eating disorders. I, I refer out for that. So that's a given. Um, two, they have a lot, a lot of weight to lose. So this is somebody who's struggling with obesity. And three, they are on board with the fact that we're going to a moderate deficit after a short period of time. And they are committed to that. Okay. They know we're not staying in this rapid fat loss approach for very long. Now, in all the hundreds and hundreds of clients I've worked with, I have given this option of a rapid fat loss phase to an extremely small handful of clients and an even smaller amount of those clients who I offered the option to decided to do it. Okay. Most chose to do the sustainable deficit from the beginning. This is just usually a better fit for most people. So if you are even considering doing something like this, if you're like, yes, that's me, like, I don't have a history of eating disorders and I do have a lot of weight to lose. And I, I'm cool with the idea that I could do like a short period of time at um, a steeper deficit. If you're even, if that's you and you're considering doing something like this, work with a coach, work with a coach because most of the time people mess it up. Usually by trying to stay too long, too low calorie for too long, they burn out, they give up and they regain their weight with nothing to show for it. Now, if you're like, wait a minute, if this is the person who asked this question, if you're like, like, that's just not me at all. Like I'm talking about eating that super low because I'm a super lean person looking to get leaner. And those calories would be my deficit calories That 1200 calories is my deficit calories. Then my answer to you is one to two weeks is not going to be long enough to do anything. Like if you're lean looking to get leaner, going to 1200 calories for one to two weeks is not going to be long enough for you to see any results. That's just going to be annoying (laughs) and difficult to to do. And then number two, you might both like your results better and enjoy life more if you ate at maintenance and pushed hard in the gym with the weights. Okay. So if you are lean enough that 1200 calories would be your deficit calories, eating at maintenance and pushing the weights hard might be a fit for you both lifestyle-wise and results-wise. Hope that helped. All right, next question is Stace to the rescue. How to get stronger? I feel like it is so hard to progress in lifting. Okay, I love this question. I love it. I love talking about this. Um, Completely love talking about how to help you get stronger. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that one, you might be cheating yourself on rest times and or two, that you have expectations that are not realistic. 
So I want to talk about both of those. I want to talk about realistic expectations and I want to talk about rest times. And after that, I want to talk about a structure you can follow to push your strength in the gym. Okay, so let's start with expectations. In the very beginning of lifting, when you are either brand new to lifting or you haven't lifted in a long time, you can make gains pretty dang quickly. Like week to week or even workout to workout, you can go up in weights or up in reps with the same weight. This newbie gain phase is super duper fun. Like to this day, I still remember that excitement when I was in that phase. And that was many years ago at this point. Here's the thing that doesn't go on like that forever. If you're lifting consistently, you've got maybe six months or even less of that rate of progress. And then it's harder to come by, but it's still important to chase. Imagine like if it did keep on like that, if we just were perpetually able to continue to make the gains we make in that newbie phase, we'd all be lifting thousands of pounds, right? Thousands of pounds. That would be really fun, but that's just not how it works. So expect that to slow down. Do not expect that you're always going to be able to hand over fist, you know, increase the weight you're using or the reps you're doing uh, like you did when you were first starting. All right, then let's talk about the other part. Let's make sure you are optimizing your rest times. So many women short themselves on intra-workout rest. They rush from set to set, moving as quickly as possible, trying to keep their heart rate up, sometimes consciously trying to burn calories, though that could be an unconscious piece of this. But in either case, they feel that in order to make the workout intense enough that they need to be sweaty, heart pounding, out of breath. And so they rest as little as possible. When you are training with the goal of building muscle or increasing strength, this approach to rest times within your workout is counterproductive. You need rest between sets so that you are recovered enough to be able to push hard enough on the next set. How long? How long should you be resting? Most of the rest that I program for the women I work with, so my fitter after 40 ladies, my aging stronger membership uh, members, most of the time, the rest I program in their workouts is between 90 seconds to three minutes long. Does that surprise you? Are you like, what? That's way longer than I would ever, that I would rest. Uh, most of the women who come to me, they're like, I am supposed to rest for that long? Like, I've never done that. How long the rest should be is going to depend on whether we're talking about a main lift. So this is like your first lift of the day. So is it a barbell? deadlift, a barbell back squat, a barbell front squat, a barbell bench press, an overhead press, a hip thrust, anything that's a heavy lift where you're working in that like five to six reps or under, I would do minimum two minute rest, two to three minute rest is what we're talking about there. Otherwise for the rest of the workout, anywhere 90 seconds to two minutes. If you're doing isolation movements, like bicep curls and tricep press downs, lateral raises, you could go shorter, like 60 seconds, but it's still probably more optimal to trend a little bit longer, closer to that 90 seconds to two minutes. So what should you be doing during these rests? Let me tell you what you should not be doing. You should not be doing high knees. <laughs> you should not be jogging in place. No jumping jacks. You could slowly pace around. Like this is the time that you could get some steps in just really slowly pacing around. You could sit, like actually sit on your bum. 
you could record your weights and get ready for your next step set like mentally and thinking like, okay, here, here's, you could like watch footage of yourself. If you just recorded your last set, you could watch that. I promise you, you will see a difference in how much you lift and in your physique. If you start giving yourself adequate time to rest between sets. Okay. So we talked about expectations. We talked about rest times. Now I want to give you a structure that you can follow to help you progress in either weight or reps. There's a method called dynamic double progression. And that's what I'm going to explain to you here. To use this method, you're going to perform more reps with the same weight week to week until you get to the top end of your given rep range. And then you're going to start back over at the low end of the rep range using a heavier weight. So to use this dynamic double progression method, you need to have a rep range that you're working in. So maybe it's eight to 10 or six to eight or 10 to 12, whatever the rep range is, okay? Then you're going to start at the low end. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your, your workout calls for three sets of eight to 10 reps of single arm rows. On week one, you would start at the low end of that rep range. So the eight in the eight to 10 rep range, let's say the weight that you are using is 15 pounds. So week one, you do eight reps at 15 pounds. Week two, you increase the reps and you do nine reps at 15 pounds. Week three, you increase the reps to 10 reps at 15 pounds. Now, on week four, you see that you've gotten to the top end of your rep range. Your rep range was eight to 10. So on week four, you don't increase reps. You go back to eight reps and you increase the weight. So let's say you go up to 20 pounds. You could go less if you have like 17 and a half, but we're just going to do 20 pounds of this example. So you go up to 20 pounds. So that's week four. You do eight reps at 20 pounds because we're back down to the low end of the rep range. Week nine, you would do nine reps at 20 pounds. Week six, you would do 10 reps at 20 pounds. Now we're back, we're back up to 10 reps. It's the top end of the rep range. So on the next week, we would go to eight reps again and we would increase the weight. So now we're going to lift 25 pounds for eight reps. Okay. And this is week seven, but seven weeks ago, you were lifting eight reps for 15 pounds. And then the next week after that, you would do nine reps for the 25 pounds. Now you might need to make smaller jumps in here. You might not be able to constantly add five pounds on, but you might be able to. So a few notes on double progression. You're gonna consider on dynamic double progression. You're gonna consider each set separately. You do not have to get all three or four or however many sets you have called for. You do not have to get all of those sets for the given number of reps with the same weight before increasing the weight. If you were to do that, if you were to wait till you could lift the same weight across all of the sets, then you would be doing the method called double progression versus dynamic double progression, which is the, the method I'm explaining here. The dynamic portion of dynamic double progression is that you progress each set individually, not looking at it as a whole. <clears throat> okay, so to review, dynamic double progression, you use a rep range six to eight, eight to 10, 10 to 12. You start at the low end of the rep range, okay? And then across the week, 
across weeks, you will increase the number of reps you do till you get to the top end of the rep range using the same weight. And then when you get to the top end of the rep range, you will increase the weight and decrease the reps back to the low end of the rep range. And you will take each set individually as far as deciding what weight to use. Now, for all of this, we want your intensity to be high, like two reps in reserve, which means you couldn't do more than two reps with that weight. All right. So give that a go. Give that dynamic double progression a go and let me know how it goes for you. Next question. This was from Kimmy SP69. Please define yo-yo dieting compared to a calorie deficit and, and maintenance breaks. I can totally see what you're getting at here, Kimmy. If we think about nutrition in seasons, which is what Kimmy was referring to here, like calorie deficit season, maintenance break season. And a lot of people do think about their nutrition in seasons. So there's like a deficit season, a maintenance season, a surplus season, back to maintenance season, then a deficit again. And you keep repeating that. That's kind of how like a bodybuilder structures their nutrition. How's that different than yo-yo dieting? First, no matter what you see under social media, I want you to remember that you have to make it work in your life. If you're following competitors, it can be easy to extrapolate that lifestyle to your own, even when that's just, that reality is not your life. Or even thinking about like fitness professionals or people who have serious, serious physicals, they might structure their nutrition with that season's approach like that. And that might also not be your life and your goals. But in any case, how is any of what we just described different from yo-yo dieting? Yo-yo dieting follows a pattern that looks like this. Diet, lose weight. We could say lose weight or lose fat. Diet, lose fat. Stop dieting, gain fat. Repeat forever, right? Diet, lose fat. Stop dieting, gain fat. Go back to dieting, lose fat. Stop dieting, gain fat. That's yo-yo dieting. There is not a purposeful maintenance phase. And the surplus phase isn't targeted for muscle growth. It's just kind of unintentional fat gain. Yo-yo dieting is not what we want for you. For sure, for sure, for sure, we want you off that hamster wheel. To do that, you might use a season's approach for a short time, or maybe you will use a season's approach for the long term. For many, many people, they don't reach their goals fully in one round of deficit, purposeful maintenance. Okay. So it, they go into a deficit. It's very rare that you meet a person who's like, I went into a deficit. I lost all the weight I wanted to. And then I got into purposeful maintenance and they stayed there the rest of my life, which is why after a time they go back to a deficit and then to maintenance again. I do think that many, many people would benefit from eventually chilling at maintenance for the foreseeable future. I do. Even knowing that they could go back into a deficit and get leaner, but living life without focusing on weight loss for years is ideal in my mind. That would be the ideal. But many people aren't there yet. So at minimum, have large chunks of purposeful maintenance between deficit periods. So you're not in a perma deficit or a perma deficit mindset. Okay. That's a must. In any case, both of those are different from yo-yo dieting in that there is intentionality in the maintenance phase. And if there is a surplus phase, there is intentionality there as well. At no point is there just the ass ah, screw it leading to fat gain. 
Great question. Great question. Okay. Last question. This is from Chubby Mom Lifts. She says, people ask me how to stop and not overeat. And you had a great insight into adjusting mindset around this and the reframe slash identity slash message to oneself. Can you share that again? Absolutely. I can. I really like talking about the subject. And in fact, I have an entire section on this in my course, Fitter After 40, an entire section um, on this exact subject. So know that I am just highlighting here. I'm just going to hit the highlights of how to stop eating when you're satisfied. Um, The mindset around stopping when you're satisfied is super important. Framing it specifically in terms of this is something I'm practicing. I am practicing stopping when I'm satisfied. I am practicing leaving bites behind when I'm not hungry for them. This is huge because it is uncomfortable for a lot of people to stop being a member of the Clean Plate Club. Like that is something that was drilled into them that they should do. There might be shame or guilt about wasting food, about wasting money by wasting that food. What about the starving children kind of thing, right? I mean, I've heard terrible stories from people, you know, who talked about like how they're the adults in their life would show them pictures in National Geographic of starving children and be like, you need to eat your food. Look at these kids, right? So that can really be stuck in your head, like that it just feels wrong to not eat all of your food, even if you're not hungry for it. Talking back to those thoughts can help. Will starving children actually benefit if I eat these five bites that I'm not hungry for? Is that true? ask yourself this question. Is it really less wasteful to eat food that I'm not hungry for than it is for me to put it in the fridge for tomorrow or throw it out? You are not a trash can. You are not a trash can. If you have a weight loss goal, you are literally wasting your time and your money, your money. If you've hired a coach or invested in a program, you are wasting it by actively doing something that is undermining your goals which is what you're doing when you eat, when you're not hungry, like sit with that idea. When you eat, when you're not hungry, when you're trying to lose weight, you are actively undermining your goals. Okay. Wasting your time, wasting your money, wasting your energy. So that is where I would start with that one to under remind yourself that you're practicing, that it's going to take time. You're not going to do this like every time exactly right. And without any kind of like inner uh, turmoil at first, because you're practicing, you'll get better at it over time. Be accepting of that and compassionate about that. And then to really push back and question the thoughts you have about leaving food behind. I hope that that has helped. I hope all of this has helped today. Um, Hit me up with questions you have on Instagram. Would love to chat through them more here on my next Q&A, which will be coming up in the near future. All right. Catch you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here. Mm -hmm.